1: back to another episode of the good the bad and the hunky here on the voice of wrestling podcasting network i'm your host tyler fornes and with me as always is fred welp moreland how are you sir
0: uh doing all right uh it's been a heck of a week and uh you know in a lot of ways and uh yeah we sure did have some news break yesterday huh yes Um, we did yeah Uh, so it Well, it's it's really not like within our realm, you know. It's kind of it's outside the AEW stuff, really. But yeah, the Vince McMahon situation is uh, utterly disgusting. Um, Just more revelations that he's just an utterly vile human being, and uh, they talk about it on the flagship, and they talk about it on the JD and Mike show, um, both on our network, of course, and uh, go into more detail on it. I do think it's uh, important to note that. not only is the Wall Street Journal article out there, but also the, uh, the actual text of the lawsuit uh, that has been filed by the uh, alleged victim um, is out, and uh, I gotta tell you, Tyler, I've read some not so great stuff in my life just because of history and all that, but this is uh, one of the most vile things I've uh, ever had the misfortune of reading.
1: Yeah, I agree 100%. And I want to say this. Just just remember multiple things, okay? One, if you're going to talk about it, please educate yourself. Mm -hmm. Read the affidavit. Read the lawsuit. All of it. Because if you don't, you're going to miss a lot of context. And two, please also remember, as vile as the things that we're reading are, it's also innocent until proven guilty. And everything until proven in a criminal or civil court is an allegation. So it's it Look, it it sounds really bad to have to say these things. But in today's social media age, just make sure that you are handling yourself in the proper manner, because we have seen so many people on social media handle this incredibly poorly on either side. Mm -hmm. So make sure this is if you want to talk about it. Educate yourself and beware if you have triggers, if you are somebody who is uncomfortable with absolutely grotesque details, please do not read it and just refrain yourself from talking about it because it is vile, it is disgusting, it is heartbreaking, it is atrocious on so many different levels. If you've ever been a friend, a father, a mother, a brother, a sister, a human being you will be revolted by the things that you read. Just be careful on how you approach this subject because it needs to be approached in the proper ways with the proper background and information. And make sure before you start talking about it, you do those things. And if you can't, it's okay to sit out and just be like, just say, these allegations are gross. Leave it at that.
0: In particular, the the law the legal filing is more detailed and more grotesque in that sense. Um, there's you know some level of detail, of course, in the Wall Street Journal article, but you know, uh, I think which Meltzer,
1: hey, bravo to the Wall Street Journal for yeah. doing a phenomenal job in utilizing journalistic integrity, something that the majority of wrestling media does not practice in the same way. Bravo. To those at the wall street journal who, who handled this properly
0: yeah and i was actually getting ready to bring up um you know the, the, our conversation or how you know we've talked various points about the state of wrestling media and uh you know that's something you talked to dave Meltzer about when he was on our show and um you know i'm just thinking about all these people that you know posted about getting their royal rumble credentials a few weeks ago and how excited they were and uh you know, just very much where it came across, at least, as uh, very much a case of people, uh, you know, being asked by WWE to, uh, you know, to to post about getting their credentials and a little bit of free PR, um, and uh, a lot of people got very def- uh, defensive after you know people criticized them for doing that, basically uh, free PR, <laughs> and um, you know. Well, now it's up to those people, uh, everyone with credentials in general, uh, and I think specifically the people who are like, "Uh, I'm not just doing PR, I'm trying to organize stuff. Okay, well, you have an opportunity in the room, uh, assuming they still go through with a press conference, to ask whoever's in there, whether it be uh, Paul Levesque or another executive, um, questions about this. And the onus is on you to do that. And failing to do that is, I think, not only... uh, a professional failing at this level uh it's not just coming short on what your job should be as a media member but it's a moral failing as well um you know we've seen these videos of people at these press conferences when like roman reigns comes out and demands to be acknowledged you know with this catchphrase you know they're playing along and everything and it's like well are you there to play games or are you there to do media work and you got to decide and this is As clear-cut of a decision point as there's going to be for those people in that room. And the wheat's going to be separated from the chaff. And there might just be a whole lot of chaff in there, I guess. But we'll see.
1: The thing that these people don't understand is if you get a credential, it's a press credential. You are media. Therefore, you need to act with a certain journalistic integrity. Why do I know this? I've been credentialed. I know what it's like to sit through a press conference. I know what it's like to conduct yourself in an interview. And I know what questions need to be asked and how you need to ask them. You don't need to go to six years of journalism school to learn these things. It's basic stuff. Hey, there's a big story. Even if you know they're not going to give an answer, you ask the question, why? How are they going to respond? How are they going to answer you? Are they going to stumble? Are they going to give you a non-answer? That ends up being a real answer. You have to ask the question. If you don't ask the question, you are failing yourself. You are failing everybody. And once again, if this Royal Rumble Room does not ask any of those questions, they are failing wrestling fans and wrestling media and making this look more like a joke than it already has been in years past. This is the time to step up. This is the time to do the right thing. This is the time to act like you deserve to be in the room, not because you are a content creator. Anybody can create content. And the scope of what you create is honestly, honestly, doesn't matter. You're in the room, therefore, you are press. And you need to act like it. And I am calling on everybody. To do the right thing. Ask the question. If they give you a bad follow up. Or sorry. If they give you a bad answer. Follow up. Mm -hmm. Ask the question. Nobody has asked about Stephanie McMahon. Not one person. What happened? Do you know how how often they've been asked about Vince? What is it? Once or twice? It's is pathetic if it I cover the Minnesota Vikings if there if a player was accused of sexual assault do you know what the first question would be in that press conference asking about it why cuz it's a pertinent topic it's a sensitive topic and it's a topic that needs to have some form of answer if you are in the room and don't ask the question Shame on you. Shame on you.
0: Good luck to everyone uh, wanting to do actual journalism. It's a time for you to step up.
1: Especially in today's day and age when journalists are being cut left and right. Do the right thing. Do the ethical thing. Ask the question. We should probably continue talking about WWE in a sense because it has a direct impact on AEW, Fred. And that yeah. was the uh, 10-year deal that they signed with Netflix to broadcast Raw. And this essentially is going to lump in the international WWE network onto Netflix from our our understanding. Um, it is a 10-year deal at $500 million per year. So 10 years, $5 billion. Very round numbers. Makes sense. So this is a question I have. You have in here, it could be a 5, 10, or 20-year deal. Netflix has an out at five years. At that five-year mark, they can either get out or they can um, exercise a 10-year option. Is that 10 years from that five-year point? Or is that a 10-year extension onto the full entity of the contract, making it a 20-year deal? I don't know if that's been officially...
0: Mention Melt- what it is yet. I think Meltzer had that it was either opt out at five or after ten, let the contract die, or extend it for another ten years. I believe that is the setup of it, at least according to what Dave Meltzer had.
1: All right. Well, five ten or twenty. This yeah. is a really gutsy move from WWE and TKO because if they decide, hey, in, like, just look at how the rights fees have gone up just since WWE signed SmackDown to Fox five less than five years ago. And they got $200 million a year. Now, Netflix is giving you $500 million a year for Raw, a few documentaries that they'll produce, and international rights. The international rights is the big piece here because that is potentially a lot of money because you're not just talking about one market. You're talking about hundreds. So... Is WWE making a mistake signing this long of a deal? Because if it goes up from 200 to 500 million in five years, we could be talking about a billion dollars in another five years per year. Are they making a mistake signing this big of a contract?
0: Yeah, there's a lot up in the air. I mean, you know, there's, you know, as well as I, Tyler, that there's been talk about the sports right you know, bubble bursting at any point, um basically for the past two decades plus. Um and it's never happened. And it may just be that this is where we are. Um you know that you know sports live live you know products on TV, uh like wrestling will continue to draw in money. Um I think it's uh just very You know, it's going to be very interesting to watch, Um, you know, from WWE's perspective. You know, um, I do think that they could end up regretting this, but there's also a possibility. I mean, there's a lot of things that could happen in 20 years. I mean, Netflix, you know, some people are like, well, Netflix could die. And I'm like, yeah, sure it could. But it's also already been around for 27 years. The streaming service has been out for 17. Um, You know, this isn't, you know. It's like some uh, a real new kid on the block situation, you know. Um, for comparison, I mean, Fox got the NFL in what like five years of its founding, if I recall, um, mm-hmm. way back in the early '90s. Um, and it's not exactly like like NBC has been around at this point as a television thing for like seventy years. Like obviously, and Fred,
1: the Fox deal, they massively overpaid. The yeah, CBS so now they could establish, establish themselves. Yeah, yeah, and you know what they've done phenomenal coverage for the past 30 years
0: yeah so so WWE might end up regretting this because you know it might get picked up at that they may find at uh after 10 years of this that um not only is netflix still going strong but the sports right bubble has gone to the point or the sports right fees i should say uh for broadcasting have got grown to the point where what they are getting paid now is crazy that it sounds uh the 500 million a year estimated uh would be small would not be worth it Um, now I don't know, I haven't heard anything about there being like escalators in the amount of money distributed per year, um, which will be something to maybe look at, you know, if it comes out that they've kind of baked a little bit of that in and like, they're getting paid, you know, 300,000 this year or next year, I should say, and then 700 or sorry, 300 million and then 700 million in the last year of it, you know, to kind of average out, you know, that would be one thing. Um, but I, th- you know, the the common thing to do on Wall Street these days are focus on the short term, um, and I guess TKO made the decision that, um, you know, being able to say that they signed a five billion dollar deal uh, was worth any possible uh, long term trade off. I don't know. It's a very aggressive deal on uh, WWE's end, and they may end up regretting it down the road. But you know, we'll see.
1: My guess here, and I heard somebody loop it in. I think it was Rich and Joe uh, on the flagship Patreons discussion about this contract. It feels like a UFC move where they just wanted everything to be simplified and and streamlined. Yeah. And it feels like this is the same thing. Uh, Brandon Thurston of uh believes it's around a 30% increase in rights fees from the previous Raw contract, which, look uh 30% growth over contracts is it's substantial that's that's significant but is it worth the streamlining aspect because WWE already burst the bubble on streaming rights you don't want to have the streaming platform yourself you want to uh, sell it to somebody who does and they made a killing off of it with peacock so i'm curious how this is all going to look in a few years i'm curious how this is going to look on Netflix, I'm also curious how when AEW starts doing streaming, what that looks like for them. Because this is going to be a deal that is discussed with, I I, I mean, in terms of how the AEW deal is going to be structured because WWE is the market leader. And Hmm. whatever you think about the wrestling product, on a business level, there's a reason why they're the market leader. They are very smart in the boardroom. And I'm curious how this works, how this is going to look in five years. Because SmackDown and Peacock, 400 million a year, over five total years for both of those entities. $2 billion, pretty good. Um, but we'll see that this is going to be something we'll talk about in the future because it's going to impact AEW when they have their contract negotiations. But it's it's fascinating to see them wanting to give up so much quote-unquote, control of how everything gets distributed uh, on a worldwide level.
0: Yep, definitely something to watch over the long term. Um, And, you know, uh, also, obviously, AW is going to be hoping for a much bigger bump. Uh, This does kind of put to bed... This does absolutely put to bed the uh, kind of absurd uh, WWE's negotiating with Warner Brothers Discovery story that kind of got spun into, like aw is on the verge of losing their uh, tv deal um i will say that uh i, I don't doubt that they had a you know a meeting or two that's not impossible but yeah you know, i felt like it was never really something that was going anywhere and it was something that came from one specific source that maybe should have been trusted um uh but yeah i think that's the uh the big story for now with that give me a one second tyler
1: Absolutely. Your second is already up Fred. I apologize, but you don't get any more grace time, but what we will, we will, we will talk about say W attendances. It's not looking great here uh, over the course of the next month or so. And I think that this tidbit that you added in there uh, from Dave Meltzer, the AW will start running more major markets and fewer, smaller cities, a la Savannah, which they just ran this past Wednesday for dynamite under Raphael Morphy. And he, uh, took over as kind of the live events coordinator for AEW. That's going to be under his umbrella of responsibilities. And sometimes when you run smaller cities, it can be really difficult to draw a crowd because there's just less inherent people. Now, if you were to run a spot like Boise, Idaho, for example, that's the biggest major market within hundreds and hundreds of miles. It's not like you're going to Savannah, Georgia, which is, I think it's a couple hours North of Atlanta, you're within earshot of Atlanta. So it's not that it's, it'd be fine for somebody from Savannah to drive down to go see a dynamite collision. When I lived in Fargo, North Dakota, I drove three and a half hours to St. Paul to go see a SmackDown show uh, back in 2017. It was the one where Randy Orton burned down sister Abigail's house in the lead up to WrestleMania. It was a fun show, but that's going to be interesting to see how some of these attendances change. And I'm curious how that's going to impact the Canadian markets, Fred, because we know when they started up collision how poorly some of those Canadian markets fared. And even so, just this past December when they ran Montreal and the Bell Center, they, they did about what five, six thousand for dynamite, but they only did a few thousand for collision. And yeah. Bell Center is the biggest hockey/slash basketball arena in North America. They it's it's, it's 21 to twenty two thousand. So the only one that's Uh, comparable in size is United center. So it's going to be really intriguing to see how they continue to approach these things because it's look, it's not good to have some of these attendances. Let's just go through uh, the list over the course of the next couple, a few weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tomorrow's collision on the 27th, 1604, all these numbers are per wrestle ticks. The dynamite on February 7th, 3,604. A relatively good number. A stable number for what we've seen lately. But that's following collision on the 10th, 928. The 21st, Dynamite. 1,703. The double taping. Uh, this one is uh, per the 22nd, so it's a few days old already. Um, 1,202. Some of these numbers are pretty dire, and we've noticed mm-hmm. that over the course of the last few months. So, How um, Morphe decides to adapt and adjust how they book these buildings is going to be fascinating to watch because these numbers, look, it just gives ammunition to the people who don't like this company to continue to fire shots at it.
0: Yeah, um, you know, they had to keep it uh, pretty tight there last night in uh, Savannah, Uh, which, by the way, is like four hours, uh, actually five hours almost away from uh, Atlanta. It's closer to Charleston. I stand correct. Like, South Carolina. yeah. in fact, it may be closer to Jacksonville. So, um, but yeah, and um, yeah. But, oh, wait, Savannah, Georgia is
1: by Florida? Uh,
0: it's closer. It may be closer to Jacksonville than it is to Atlanta. It's down along the coast. Um, oh,
1: man. Um, I, my Georgia geography stinks. I thought it was like in the, the northern middle. No, no, it's, it's uh, right
0: along the coast, and it is about half the distance to Jacksonville versus Atlanta. So, well. yeah, these ticket sales are crap. <laughs> um, some of them are at least. Um, like obviously, the February 7th when you mentioned is pretty good, but you know, to have a cage match main event tomorrow night and I uh, only have not even break 2000 distributed is uh, pretty dire. Um February 10th, still under a 1,000. like These numbers are, are not good. Uh, and there's a report in The Observer that they've stopped doing those late ticket discounts, you know, where it got to the point where it was kind of like, well, should I even bother buying tickets early um, to some of these shows that aren't going to be well-attended? And um, I don't know. They're in a, at least with the attendance, they're in a tough position. Every other metric is doing pretty well. Uh, ratings are stable and pay-per-view buys are stable, and I would say good. Um And, I mean, they just finished, I think, as the number two show um, on Wednesday night, if I'm not mistaken. Um, So, considering all that, like, they got to figure out how to get people in the house. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of things you could point at. Uh, One person wrote to Dave and specifically mentioned, like, the never-ending Ring of Honor tapings afterwards. And I do think maybe there's something to that because those shows are so inessential um just having like you know a 12 match show with eight squashes i don't think it's gonna really entice anyone to attend or stay so uh but you know it's something that they have to be hoping will be improving
1: yeah i agree it's going to be interesting to see how things track. Cause we just don't have enough data to know if it's going to make a difference. i guess it will. Um, more news. People in AEW are expecting both Okada Kazuchika Okada, that is, and Mercedes Monet to be coming in soon. Um, I believe the phrasing was used that they were expected to come. Okada was expected to come in around revolution. Now mm-hmm. this was just tweeted by Sean Ross Sapp. within the last hour And this, I I found this very interesting. He is Sean Rossap tweets, I asked the WWE source this weekend, uh, who had been working on the Royal Rumble about the possibility of Mercedes Monet showing up. And the quote from the WWE source, well, we're not really interested in contact, contract tampering with her, so I doubt it. Unquote. Sounds like Monet is going. To AEW, which is going to be a massive win for their women's division. And we've had extensive talks about Mercedes Monet over the past year. And I'm I'm very excited to see her in this division. I think it's a massive addition. And we'll see how big it ends up being. But adding both her and Okada would be very, very good. And it's also worth noting. Short, like. With also within the last hour, he's Tony Khan tweeted with um, those New Year's glasses that have 2021 like on top of them. 2024 AEW is the next 2021 AEW. And if you remember 2021, they were coming out of the pandemic and they brought in a massive influx of talent just within a month's time. They brought in CM Punk, Adam Cole, and Brian Danielson. I would not be surprised if that if he's referencing that as well and coming out of the doldrums that was the MJF title reign using that as kind of what um, uh, coming out of that as they came out of the 2020 COVID 19 pandemic very dissimilar but similar in this in the sense of what the shows were so buckle up, Fred. Looks like we're gonna have some fun. Yeah,
0: uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we'll get good stuff out of it you know that's the main thing to hope for
1: i'm very intrigued to see how they use okada because he american television wrestling it it doesn't feel like he's a great fit but he's also one of the greatest of all time you just don't know until you get there um he you know what would be great give him stokely hathaway and just let okada stand there and look look like look like an arrogant badass
0: yeah, I, it's going to be really interesting. Um, I don't know which direction to take him in. You know, it's, uh, Obviously, I think you have to bring him in as a heel initially. Or, I'm sorry, a face initially. Um, as I say the opposite of what I
1: mean. Uh, but,
0: yeah, I guess we'll see. Um, that just that like,
1: Papa Revolution is going to be legendary because they're going to want to bring him in in a big building. And yeah, assuming it works point, out like that. Revolution may not even have a stage. I wonder if they're going to scrap the stage. So Sting can like come out of the tunnel. Yeah. And like, I mean, WWE used to do this with MSG and uh, most famously, they did this with the Royal rumble where they came out of like the side of the arena and there was no stage. And they packed like 20,000 people into that 18,000 seat building. I think it'd be cool for AEW to do something similar. Plus, people want to go see Sting's last match. It's a huge draw. It's, they've already sold over 15,000 tickets, if I recall correctly. So that would get a resounding pop when that, that coin drops. I think yeah. that'd be really cool. Um, Fred, our wishes have been granted. The rankings are back. It'll be back at the end of the month. And now we're going to see a little bit of cohesiveness, some more cohesiveness with the booking, but it's going to be held in check because of the rankings it's a great tool and i'm excited
0: yeah um it'll be uh i think it'll be a good thing for the booking uh it definitely will promote uh since cool uh booking um you know i I do think one thing that is kind of interesting is they really like to use dark to boost uh some of these guys records so they could keep them at the top of the rankings and kayfabe, but there's no more dark. it has been replaced by ring of honor, which is treated like a separate company. So do you think this will lead to more, uh, to more jobs, like more squashes, I should say on TV, or do you think they're going to, how, how do you think it'll have an effect?
1: This is a really good point. Um, I think they're going to use Rampage as dark. And, Get like oh you want to build Tremperetta up for a, a TV title match, have him win like five straight weeks on Rampage. Hey, guess what? He's on a five match winning streak. Throw in a one on Dynamite or Collision, and all of a sudden, boom, you're set. I think you can do that. Um, I think it's just going to keep Tony Khan honest when it comes to the booking, and that's what a tool like that is there for. It's there. Oh, you can't just give. Ex wrestler, a title match, they're not even close in the rankings. Hook, yeah. title match. Why? 28 and one as a singles. Yeah, that's good enough for me. You go 28 and one out of 29 matches. I'd say that deserves a title shot.
0: Yeah, that's pretty good.
1: Even, like, even if Hook is necessarily like ability wise ready, sometimes it's not about ability. And this is where like boxing and UFC, the best fighters don't always get the title shots. It's the most deserving resume matters and i'm excited for them to come back for that reason because it's going to keep him honest and keep him more cohesive with how he books these shows and i think that's great
0: yeah uh and you know it's going to be a very interesting collision we should make things easier uh, with controlling some of these things we'll see how that goes
1: um but yeah all right let's uh, let's run through the rest of the news and we have a lot to talk about with Um, spoiler, match of the year. Um, Kenny Omega surgery for diverticulitis is being delayed seven weeks to see if he'll be able to receive it. Um, I believe what Meltzer is referring to because this comes directly from him is if the medication works well enough, he may be able to avoid surgery or he may be able to uh, have a more minor surgery because diverticulitis can be a little weird and how it responds is going to be the really key part here
0: yeah uh, obviously diverticulitis can be very serious and uh, you know we continue to wish the best for him absolutely
1: um, Dorian Roldan of AAA I believe he's is he the booker is he the owner I, I don't uh, know
0: what he he's means. the he's the owner
1: okay uh, I do. said in a press conference that they're bringing more AEW guys this year very interesting because uh, uh, TNA is hard to kill they he shook hands with Scott Demore that like essentially cementing a partnership between TNA and AAA. Mm-hmm. So I'm intrigued to see how that works out. AAA was the absolute shits this past year, which really stinks, because normally, even though the booking doesn't ever make sense, it's usually a fun promotion that peaks with some pretty good matches. It was not that this year. And hopefully they can get back to that. And maybe with the influx of some AEW talent, you can get there we'll see how this works out. Um last piece of news, Jake Atlas is looking to restart his career after his injury and in domestic violence a- uh, allegations. All I'm going to say is we'll see. We'll yeah. see how it how it works out, how it ends up going and yeah. I don't really have any other comment other than that.
0: Yep, yeah, pretty much. Uh
1: it's uh I think it's
0: a uh... Long
1: road to go for him. Yes, I agree completely. Um, Let's give some general thoughts about Collision and Dynamite, Fred, because these shows were kind of of run-of-the-mill. There wasn't a ton on them. Uh, It was mainly to just continue moving storylines forward, and we are going to get that Elimination Six-Man cage match that's going to go up against the Royal Rumble this Saturday which I'm very excited about. I think that cage match could be awesome between House of Black and FTR and Daniel Garcia. Could be very good, yeah. But I want to give some praise to the Cope Open. This is one of the best things in wrestling right now. It's just, look, Adam Copeland, he's not this massive star. He's not this massive difference maker for the company, but he's going out there every week wrestling different types of guys having good to great matches and you can tell that he loves this and he's putting everything into it and the passion is there and for television and he's continuing a storyline with Christian Cage for, for TV wrestling this is phenomenal it's simple no nonsense good matches that make sense and are combine, uh, compiling in to an overall story wrestling is simple It doesn't need to be complicated. Copeland wants to wrestle every single week. So you know what he's doing? He's finding dudes to wrestle. He got to wrestle Minoru Suzuki this past week. The match on collision with Dante Martin was very good. I think this rocks. This is a great way to use Adam Copeland. And you know what? Eventually, when he ends up taking that TNT title, you can use Adam Copeland and how they built him up over the course of these last few weeks. Now they're going to continue doing so. To put somebody over in a massive, massive way. And I think this is great. I I can't give enough praise to it.
0: I think it's been pretty good. I am not as high on it as you because I don't think it's bad by any stretch, but like everything's been like you know, like, yeah, pretty good. You know, like in that three star level where you're like, all right, I I, you know, appreciated this. I didn't regret watching it, but I wouldn't really go out of my way to recommend too much of it. Outside of the Dante Martin match, I don't think really anything's hit that level where I would strongly recommend it. And even Dante, uh, that match was uh, three and a half stars to me. So like, it was like, well, if you have time, um, I just, you know, I, I, it's not exactly the John Cena U S open challenge.
1: I think. Yeah. I'm not saying it's in the pantheon of legendary things that have ever been done on television. I just think it's great. It's simple. It's entertaining. It's serving multiple purposes. Look, this probably is never going to have a four, four and three quarters or five star match. Maybe it never gets the four and a half, depending on what you thought of the Suzuki match. But it's TV wrestling. That's and it's consistent. It's good. Like, I love this. You could definitely do
0: worse. I, I'm not really uh like going to strongly bury this or anything, but it is OK. <laughs> you know, Uh there's definitely worse things they
1: could be devoting the TV time to. Absolutely. There could be worse things they could be devoting the TV time to. Um, Do you have any other thoughts on kind of the collision and dynamites this week? Because like it just slightly advanced some storylines. It just felt like a placeholder week. And you know what, when you have like three months in between pay-per-views, sometimes you need that.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Um, I thought Collision was a pretty good show for the most part. Like, every match was, I thought, well above average, uh, pretty much. Um, You know, at least three stars, if not higher. Um, I thought the main event tag was quite good with uh, Danielson and Ortiz and everyone. Um, Eddie and Claudio, obviously. that it was worked well, and crowd was well into it. And I also enjoyed uh, Daniel Garcia and Buddy Matthews quite a bit. I thought that was a very good uh, match. I enjoyed uh, Garcia getting the roll-up um, and Buddy kicking out a 3.1 after the surprise loss. Uh kind of worked. Um, I, you know, can't really knock anything on the show. Um, the worst thing on it, I guess, maybe... I don't think the Top Flight private party promo was exactly gangbusters. I don't think uh, we got our best Eddie Kingston promo. I know that was supposed to sell the intensity and everything. And, I mean, the Tony Storm segment was less ridiculous on my end, uh, you know, in terms of uh, my opinion on things. Um, I'm not exactly going to call her great or anything, but, um, you know, it was... Yeah, all right. Um better than the early stuff. Um and you know, Tony Storm, I think in general has the, the gimmick has improved. Um I thought the sit-down was fine. Um, you know, the black and white on half the screen may have been a little heavy-handed. I don't have a particularly strong take on it. Uh when you get to dynamite. And uh, you know, she at least has reached the level where she has one good line a week. Uh, which is better than having no good lines a week. So, the newer
1: massage line was hilarious. It popped me.
0: Yeah. Uh, she, you know, and I enjoyed her, you know, a little, I, I think her thing on collision was con- concise and good. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's there's some progression, it's going very slowly. I'm kind of worried it might, you know, this rate will probably be like 2026 for me to be like, all right, it's actually like fully good. Um, which, of course, I'll, I'll be.
1: I'm gonna have a hot take here, Fred. I think sure. if they had started with this version and didn't go so over the top right away, I think oh, yeah. more people would be enjoying the time with Sony stuff because you know what? It's just tropey enough and it's not over the top anymore, yeah. And that they, I think it's actually been gotten pretty good, but they needed that. Hey, this sucks. That kind of voice from the public, to yeah. Figure that out.
0: And they have adjusted and they are adjusting. I'm not going to call it like a good act yet, but it is trending
1: that way. I think the last two weeks is a good act, but as a as a the microcosm of like the whole act and what it has been since the since inception, I agree with you. Yeah.
0: Um. Two other things I do want to bring up. One, um, boy, that red velvet uh, uh, match with Thunder Rosa was ugly um, at some points. Um, just a real... I, I don't think Rosa has looked terrific on her return so far. And, you know, hopefully it's more getting the rust off than anything else.
1: Um, I thought the match with Queen Aminata was pretty good. It was pretty I, good. I that was the best that. she's had, um, I think. But th- I think... this was a step back. <laughs> I think the big problem with the AW women's division is that a lot of these women peak high, but the consistency is brutal and you can have just duds. And when you don't have a really solid hand who is just super, super consistent, like the return of Serena Deeb next week on collision, I think is going to be great because as boring as Serena Deeb can be, she's very consistent and very technically sound. And I think this division just doesn't have enough of that. And I think Red Velvet definitely falls into that category. Peaks high, massively wild across the board as far as her match output. And Thunder Rosa, look, it's fair that she's rusty. She was out for over a year. Get that back. So, and it's not like she's going up against Tony Storm and Jamie Hader every single week. So, I think this is just going to happen until the baseline output of this division just rises and that's only going to happen with experience and more ring time. And like that, we're just going to kind of have to live with it, which kind of sucks for a major league promotion that you just have to live with it. But you don't have the ability to just stick these individuals. like, And this is the same with some of the men too, stick them in developmental for two years and then bring them up. You kind of have to get them on television too early. Just look at sky blue.
0: Yeah, you the, have the to depth get them is, on TV early. The depth is not there. Um, and I've said this before you know, relying more on you know, some Joshi imports would help solve that in the, in the interim, but you know, we're not doing that for whatever reason. I still can't believe that they didn't bring over like Ryo Mizunami and uh, Vaini slash Asuka, um, over uh, in particular to make them regular roster members. Uh, Riho keeps disappearing. Um, she does kind of off right now, too. Um, Emmy Sakura has come back into the void. It, they would just help, you know. And I'm not going to say that they, they would necessarily put out like four plus star matches every week, they would sometimes, I think, but it'd be an improvement. Um, because hey, and I i do have to celebrate I went a week without seeing a sky blue match, so praise so God! Congratulations,
1: first time, long time,
0: God, wow. yeah, seriously. Um it's not even, like, a specific knock on her that much. Like, I, I know they're trying to get her experience and everything, but maybe just, you know, tap the brakes a little bit. Um,
1: it's not her fault that she's been over. No, it's not.
0: Yeah, but she has been overexposed badly. Um, God bless. Um, but, yeah, like, we've got that, and uh, I don't know, man. Like, it, it's a rough division right now, and I think the people that... Uh, Are calling, you know, are complaining about them not doing like two women's matches per dynamite. Like, do you really want to be seeing like what would probably be coming out every week at that second women's match at the expense of some of this other stuff? Uh, You know, I'm.
1: I I think the quality would not be there. I think what these people need to understand is equality is very important, but so is equity. And if equity is not there, it's it's a difficult proposition, as you said, to be able to have some of these matches on television consistently, because at the end of the day, it's Tony Khan from an outside perspective. And obviously, there's going to be a a lot of nuance with this. And I'm just kind of talking. It's like a broad picture perspective. The people that are getting these spots on television are For the most part, really good in ring workers. And on the med side. Yeah. Like merit matters. And that's where the equity piece comes in. If you're that good, you're going to be on TV every week. Or if there's like, hey, like we believe in you that highly, we're going to get you on TV every week. Like they put Sky Blue on television every week. She, like, as far as the equity is concerned, what has she done to really earn TV time every week as far as her match output. Like, you, you have to be patient. They are putting real time and real effort into the stories in, in the women's division. Like, give it just, we have to continue to stay patient. I wrote an article in uh, 2020, 2021. I can't remember what year it was about how the booking in the women's division was good and I was crucified for it. And I, I essentially said, I'm like, what do you expect them to do? They have like Eight women and five of them aren't really that ready for television yet. They're doing the best they can. And like they they I I'm disappointed that they're not farther along than than what they are, but it's not like they're not trying. Just wait until Monet comes in, hypothetically, because that's what we think is happening, and Jamie Hayter comes back. Like you get like those kind of workers. Guess who's going to be on TV every single week? Those two. Mm-hmm. And and that's where a lot of that equity position comes in. You know what? They built up Julia Hart really well. Uh, Chris she Statlander, is improving. Yeah, Chris Statlander is just still a wild card because of her knee injuries, but they built her up really well. Like, It's, it's going to happen with this women's division. We just have to continue to stay patient, which is a very frustrating thing. But yeah. Uh, and, you know, I got into a short Twitter conversation with someone
0: that was, you know, unhappy that the FSM 50 only had uh, three women in it, I think. And uh, I think that was the number. Maybe I'm off. Um, and like, you know, it's not a unfair complaint, but I also just think it's, you know, my personal opinion when I voted was that, you know, the American women's scene was a disaster in terms of match quality. Um, you know, uh WWE's, you know, they just continues to do the thing where they don't uh, feature their top wrestlers on a regular basis having good matches, which is why they suffered in general as a company, uh, in my opinion. Uh, AEW was a disaster, and Ring of Honor was just Athena carrying everyone possible to uh, great matches, which she got recognized for. Um, There's five women, excuse me. Um, And on the Joshi side, you know, anything that's not Stardom and arguably t- Tokyo Joshi Pro just does not get the uh, attention it should. As uh Tyler tries to draw some money by uh drawing blood over here, doing the old nasal
1: blade job. I'm I'm John Moxley. Look, uh, God bless. I, I I have this thing that my wife um believes is called snow mold. Which... Yeah, I, I
0: read a little bit that's apparently what you're allergic to possibly. So,
1: yeah. And it's it's been. Uh, you need to go take care of that, bro. Oh no, it's 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 good now. I'll just need to right. wash my hands with a little dried blood. I mean, I'm John Moxley, so it's all good. <laughs> just like uh, just I, uh, what I learned from wrestling is rub it on your chest. I can do that. Um, one thing that I, I think is really important with the conversation, like you mentioned about the FSM 50 and not having a large inclusion of women, is the poll is d- draws from a wide variety of voters and those who watch a lot of wrestling and specifically a lot of women's wrestling. Now, one thing that I'll say, especially about the Americans, uh, women's scene, it was basically treated like dog shit until about Mm -hmm. 10 years ago. And there's just not the proper infrastructure that you have in men's wrestling because of how it was treated for such a long period of time. And, A lot of of ground to
0: make up, unfortunately. Yeah,
1: and you can only do that so fast because, hey, now women really want to get involved in the wrestling because it's treated with the proper respect it always should have been. Mm -hmm. Well, you have a long time to catch up. Like when UFC first started, you didn't have a super deep roster where you could have flyweights, main event UFC pay-per-views. You had to have heavyweights, light heavyweights, and like big time stars headline these pay-per-views. So they were more sporadic. And now when you do monthly shows, you can have people from all weight classes, including women's weight classes, main event, big time shows, because you have the infrastructure in place. But you know what? It took them 20 years to get there. And I think with women's wrestling, it's probably going to take another 10 years. And that's not due to the fault of the women who are doing a phenomenal job. It's due to the system itself for doing such a poor job of treating women's wrestling with any form of respect. And you know what? This, this was just a down year for women's wrestling. And that's not, that's just what the product was and equity matters here. Like the FSM 50 is the 50 best wrestlers, regardless of anything, who's the best. And I thought that, yeah, I thought that, um, you and all the others in the poll did a fantastic job of trying to identify that. Because you know what? If, uh, like, let's say, hypothetically, Miu Yamashita from Tokyo Joshi Pro was the best wrestler in the world, guess what? You all would have named her the best wrestler in the world. I like, would have so, yeah. I have faith in that because of um, the integrity of the people on that panel. I will add that I had uh, Yamashita on my list. Um, oh, I as you should have. She was great. fantastic. Yeah. But it's... Um, it's yeah, hard it to be a tough year. It's hard to be fantastic as a single performer when the scene as an overall whole is just not up to its own standard because we've seen great years from Joshi, especially the last few. This year just it didn't hit and I think a lot of that had to do with injuries, especially in stardom. They yeah, were stardom ravaged by injury.
0: It's tough to make the list if you just have half a year, you know. Um, yeah. which is what I had with a lot of people on the list uh, that I considered for stardom. Um, I only had, I think Julia from stardom on my top 50. Uh, now I'm not going to claim to be like, have watched everything stardom did, you know, in 2023, but you know, my, my Ui Watani and Tom nakano I thought both had very good years and were among my very late cuts. Um, I just, you know, it was a rough year all around and I'm hoping 2024 is better, but you know, I'm not optimistic about WWE. I'm kind of not optimistic about AEW. Impact had people, but I think, you know, the the knockouts division is kind of running on its reputation. And, like, Masha Slamovich, as an example, had, like, pretty, you know, like, not terrible, but just fine matches in Impact and did her best work in GCW, a promotion that I didn't really watch and is pretty far down the list for me to get to, so... It's, yeah, it's a shame, you know. I, I wish the situation was better, and uh, I do. I, you know, uh, I've complained a lot about how Tony does his women's division, and I'll continue to do so until it's better. Yeah, well, also, uh, uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up, other than just you know, complaining about Tony Khan again, uh, <laughs> is uh, Wardlow, um. You know, I watched his match with Trent Bretta who is a fantastic worker, of course. And I'm not going to say it was like a bad match or anything, but uh, man, I don't know. I think the whole Wardlow as a top star thing is like dead. I, I just don't
1: think it's coming back. They had it, man. They it's had it. I, I, I don't know if they'll ever get back to that level because they did such a masterful job of building him up man it hurts it hurts
0: it's rough because he was so over like around the time he beat mjf and then mjf you know walked out on the company or whatever he did do and uh, really overshadowed that um and i don't think wardlow's ever recovered and you know he now feels just like uh meandering mid-card heal, uh, which is unfortunate because he showed flashes of being more than that, but I just don't think he's got it. It's, he's missing that X-Factor, I think, more than anything that really makes you be a star. It's not, you, I mean, Charisma doesn't quite go to the right place to describe it with him. It just He's lacking it. Um, maybe they can get it back with a hot storyline, but he's like the third guy in a five-guy group right now, you
1: know? Yeah. I'm just going to play a wait and see approach because they've gotten him that hot before. Oh, I wouldn't cut him or anything, but like, you know, it's no, I'm I'm not. I'm not saying that I'm, yeah. I'm not going to say he is or isn't anything specific because I want to see how this all develops because this, this is a new faction. Um, I'm very intrigued. I'm very yeah. intrigued. I think they've done a good job of pivoting away from the worst of the
0: MJF cool stuff.
1: Yeah. Are you ready to talk about uh, Match
0: of the Year? Yeah, uh, unless you want to talk about how MJF is definitely going to show up in the Royal Rumble and uh, has you know... <laughs> uh, sorry, I almost got
1: three with a straight face. Um... You know it would be hilarious? If uh, Tony Khan licensed MJF's music to be played at the Royal Rumble and then uh, like Cody came out I it's
0: just you know I I cannot be convinced that he hasn't signed a new contract. Uh, if if you do what you did in twenty twenty three with him as a impending free agent, then
1: I don't know, man. It's really weird to me. I I think he signed a new contract. I don't think he's going anywhere. But yeah. I think it, it, that would be pretty funny uh, to see something like that happen. But we yeah won't. Well, um, yeah, let's talk match of the year. Uh All right. if, So, Voice of Wrestling every single year puts together a match of the year poll for wrestling media. We've talked about it on the show before. Wrestling media is a very vague description. You just have to podcast or write about wrestling in some way, shape, or form. That's it. You don't have to work for Sports Illustrated. You don't have to work for uh, Voice of Wrestling. It could just you, be a personal blog. Yeah, it could be a personal blog. You just have to do something with wrestling. And set records this year 221 total votes total voters a and 25 percent of those were new voters this year after 208 total last year so still getting influx of new voters and people are cycling out for whatever reason they just may not have watched enough wrestling this year maybe out of wrestling they maybe just didn't want to there's a number of reasons why and 380 total matches received votes The poll itself is derived from Major League Baseball's MVP voting. So first place gets 14 uh, votes for 14 points. Second place gets nine, and then yada, yada, yada. Uh, Third is eighth, and then 10th is one point. Um, Fred, how do you want to do this? Do you want to just go through our ballots individually or alternate? Yeah, let's just go through our ballots. Fred, I'm going to let you go first.
0: Alright, are we doing this one by one like 10-10-9-9 or you just go through it all at once? Yeah, let's,
1: let's do 10 10 9, 9. Alright, all 10-10.
0: Uh, my 10th match, my 10th favorite match of the year uh, was from the January 25th AEW Dynamite in Lexington, Kentucky. Jay Lethal against Mark Briscoe. Um, this was a super emotional match. Um... I think uh, Mark had one of the absolute best performances of the year in this match, and, uh, you know, I, it brought me to tears, just the emotion of everything. It was a very unique circumstance, and
1: uh, you were live at that match, too.
0: I was, and it probably got a live bump from me. I get that, but, you know, it was special, um, and I was fortunate to be able to see it live.
1: That was a match I couldn't rate because it I it was just so weird to me. Um yeah. I, I don't what you got, what you got, got, what you got? Um my number 10 match was from the best of super junior final. Um, or it was Dominion. I can't remember, it was one of the two. Uh no, I think this was Dominion. John Moxley, Claudio Castagnoli, and Shota Umino. Versus Kazuchika Okada, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Tomohiro Ishii. Ishii. Um, I loved this match.
0: That match ruled. Uh,
1: I considered was, that one. It was fantastic. And I need to figure out where it ended up on, uh, on the match of the year poll. Because I think I was one of the only people that voted on it. Uh, yeah.
0: Uh, my my uh, Briscoe lethal was way down in the rankings. I can pull it up for you. Was that the Dominion show? Yes. Uh, give me one second.
1: I almost have it.
0: Uh, looks like that was uh, 74th.
1: 74th. You know what? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 74th. Look, I love this match. I thought it was it was great. Uh, what's hilarious is um, in the write-up, uh, uh, Rich, when he was editing it, included my blurb that said, that this was uh, a great beginning to uh, can start setting up Shota Umino's future win over Kata. Okada. Uh, well, well ne- nevertheless. <laughs> maybe in 2028 AEW. But, yeah, and oh, uh, Claudio, there are rumors he wasn't going to make the booking, and I think he got to osaka Joe Hall 30 minutes before he was supposed to go out. Yeah, it was very close. flight delays with the tsunamis. Um, look, all... And it was fun. It was it was cool to see Claudio in New Japan. It was hard hitting. It was brutal. Just, it was a great match.
0: Yeah, I thought it was a fantastic match. Uh, for the record, Mark Briscoe, Jay Lethal, was 104th on the voting this year. So down in Sadness Village, but just barely. All right. What is, I'll let you go next. Uh, what's your number nine?
1: All right. My number nine finished 86th in the poll. Um, House of Black versus the Elite from March 5th, 2023, at AEW Revolution. I loved this match. I gave in our review, I gave three matches five stars on this show, and this was one of them. Um, and in fact, all three matches from Revolution made my top 10. And this was just, I, I will say, I, Ten, I loved, and I still gave it four and three quarters, but it was my vanity pick. I wanted to get the Astronauts singles match to Kuyenomura versus Fuminori Abe on here from We Are Fighting Detectives, but I just didn't have the space. Well, House of Black versus the Elite, this is what Trios matches are supposed to be, just a bunch of ass kickers and a bunch of guys who just understand how to build up a match and how to um, utilize big spots in that, like, we we know it as like what the Dragon Gate Six Man was, and at WrestleMania weekend back in 2006, Do Fixer vs Blood Generation. This was that style match. It was just great, and a decisive win for House of Black. I loved it.
0: Yeah, I thought it was a blast too. Uh, I think I went four and three quarter on it, so not quite high enough to be considered by me, but I enjoyed it a lot. So, um. Let's see, my next one. And for the record, uh, that one finished 86th overall. I said that. Uh, oh, I'm saying it again. So there you go. Uh, my number nine ended up finishing fifth overall. It was Brian Danielson against Zach Sabre Jr. at WrestleDream Dream on October 1st. Uh, I just thought this was a fantastic technical match. Uh, and, you know, I'm really excited we're going to get another one soon. And uh, I just remember thinking this was a blast and uh, really a special match, I felt like, for this
1: year. Special match, but it didn't peak that high for me. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was good, but I thought they were better. No,
0: we all make mistakes sometimes. Uh, number eight is uh, <laughs> Shota Amino against Will Ospreay from uh, New Japan's Power Struggle on uh, November fourth. That was my number eight. Uh, looks like that finished 14th overall. Uh, I thought that was like really a, a big coming out party for Shooter, after what had been a, a very strong year. But I felt like this was like a, a big high water mark for him, and I thought he had a nice outing. And of course, Osprey is is Osprey, and uh, just an absolutely phenomenal worker, and had a fantastic year.
1: Yeah, I love Shooter. I'm, I've been high on shooter for a long time, and it makes me feel good to know that he's still got it and he's still the guy. What really sucks about him is no matter how good he gets, it, it, there's always going to be some nepotism question because his dad is red shoes. And I think that sucks. But that is what it is. My number eight match of the year comes from New Beginning in Osaka. That is the Rainmaker Kazuchika Okada versus Shingo Takagi. Finished 39th in the poll. I loved this. This was peak Shingo, peak Okada, beating the piss out of each other. And uh, Shingo just tries, but he can't quite get it done. And Okada hits the final Rainmaker for the win. God, this is great. Um, Just peak New Japan main event.
0: Yeah, that was a that was a great match. Uh, my number seven uh, was from Noah, their one night dream on July fifteenth. Uh, Katsuhiko Nakajima against Miyahara uh, I, you know, I had the seventh. This finished ninth overall. Those two had just an absolutely amazing feud, uh, amazing year with their matches against each other, their individual performances. And uh, I felt like this really defined it. Uh, they had some later matches that were obviously very excellent, but I you know thought this one was just a little better than the others.
1: Yeah, this match, this match, i'm i'm gonna be I'm gonna be very honest. It finished way too low. one hundred and twenty second in the poll, only three people voted for it. All three of us had voices of wrestling. <laughs> that is from G1 Night 1, Will Ospreay versus Tai Chi, The famous ear-selling match with the equilibrium. Yeah, this, that was really good. This was phenomenal. And I thought in his Patreon review, Joe summed it up perfectly. It was a perfect wrestling match. They, they could not have done any one thing better with how they built it and how they wanted to um, tell the story. I thought this was great. I thought this was so much better than their new beginning match, which I really, really liked. It was just perfect. And they they climaxed to the end so brilliantly because Osprey dominated initially and then that one kick knocked Will's balance and equilibrium off. And it was they built it up so well. Tyson gets the gets the big win on the first night of the G1. The fact that only three people voted for this. Makes me upset, but it was awesome. I loved it.
0: Well, sorry to upset you. I was not one of them, but I know uh, you weren't.
1: Don't don't you worry. I am upset with you.
0: <laughs> uh, number six for me was the finals of the Best of the Super Junior, as Teton and Master Wado had themselves a nice little coming out party. Uh, oh. Teton had a fantastic Best of the Super Junior year, and and uh, what was overall a very strong year for him. And we finally got. To see what um what top tier Master Wado looks like, you know, and hopefully he'll continue to move away from the really goofy gimmick he was initially given, supposedly because it popped Jush and Liger. Um, which is not exactly a great way to work on the f- future of your junior division. But I thought this ruled uh it finished twenty-fifth overall. Um mm-hmm. I I loved it. Uh Teton is one of you know, maybe the best worker in Mexico. Um or at least CMLL, and uh, Wado. you know, I hope he keeps improving and gets to show the side of himself some more.
1: This barely missed my list. I loved this match. Teton. Teton has grown a lot just in, in New Japan because he would come over and he would go like three and six in the best of Super Juniors, and this run was so, 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 so good. I hope they use him more, but it really sucks that they didn't use him throughout the whole rest of the year, which yes. I think is more of a signal of what CMLL has been doing. than new Japan, um, my number six, this ended up finishing sixth in the voice of wrestling poll, Adam page versus John Moxley, Texas death from revolution, the hanging spot, the just brutality, the i think they use cinder blocks in this one too just everything um they built it up so well and i thought Moxley tapping out was a great touch because he just knew he was done yeah and even with a heel like moxley's like a more like a heel leaning tweener and just so beautifully built nobody does blow off gimmick matches anymore like AEW
0: no, I agree with that fully. All right, uh, my number five. Or do you want to do yours? I right, go ahead. All right, uh, my number five was uh, from Revolution on March fifth, the uh, Iron Man match between Brian Danielson and an MJF uh, that finished fourth overall. Uh, and I thought, uh, I mean, I don't know what to say. One of the one of the best, if not the best, Iron Man match I've ever seen. A great performance by MJF, who is one of the best wrestlers in the world. Um, If he can just like stop with a bad creative (laughs) and, um, you know, I don't know what else to say about Brian Danielson. Just maybe my favorite wrestler of all time.
1: Danielson rocks, man. He's, he's so good. Let's, let's go to my number five, another Texas death match from full gear, November 18th, finishing third, in the Voices of Wrestling poll, Hangman Page versus Swerve Strickland. A lot has been made over the course of time, Fred, about entrances in blood feuds. And, oh, I'm the Miz. I'm just going to do my entrance, even though I want to kill the other guy. Like, that's yeah. kind of been the the meme. Well, Swerve comes out ultra confident initially. And Hangman Page doesn't wait for his music to hit. He sprints out and starts beating the piss out of Swerve and gets the staple gun and staples him a bunch, staples his child's artwork to his face. Like they just got the ball rolling and it was violent. It was brutal. And then Swerve started no selling the staples and turns around and ends up winning the match from start to finish. This was so beautifully planned out. So well done. And you couldn't ask. Like, I thought Paige and Moxie was the best Texas death match of all time. Then I watched this match and it took it to another level. Amazing.
0: I have nothing to say about that match right now. Uh, my number four was from Forbidden Door on June 25th. Kenny Omega against Will Ospreay. Uh, in, which finished second overall. Um, a fantastic match um, that I loved very much.
1: Boo! Fourth, you <laughs> coward. Boo! Um... We'll get to that. My number four was your number five. And that was from full gear. MJF versus Brian Danielson in the Iron Man match that ended up going over 65 minutes. So well done. And yeah. MJF being the crafty cheater that he is at the end, I thought was really, really well played. Um this was great. This was so great. This was exactly how a match like this should have gone. And Brian Danielson and MJF being able to deliver on that kind of level with that kind of pressure is tremendous. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Great match.
0: Great, great. All-time level match. My number three, which only finished 21st, uh, was from the March 22nd episode of Dynamite. I've talked about this match several times this year, but Kenny Omega and Hijo Del Vikingo put on maybe the best just moves match of all time um i loved it it was just amazing high flying it was the theoretical perfection of fakingo i think that you could ever possibly get from him um omega helped him look like a million bucks fakingo hit everything he tried it was just like a really special night for him and i thought it just absolutely rolled
1: yeah that match rocked and it was tough for me to leave it off but There's a lot of matches I had to leave off just because of how good of a wrestling year this was. My number three, um, which ended up finishing seventh in the match of the year poll from the G1 semifinals on August 12th, Tetsuya Naito, a.k.a. Yoshihiko, versus Will Ospreay, where Will Ospreay had to deliver Destinos to himself like Naito was Yoshihiko because he got knocked Loopy in the match and it was already trending to be an all-time G1 match. And then that happened and Osprey had to carry him because not only are you worrying about the booking of this tournament, you... these tournaments set up a lot of booking stuff for the future. So Will winning can change the entire course of New Japan history. You can't do that. So instead of just doing a, like a, a roll-up or something, Osprey coaxed Naito into delivering multiple Testinos, which Osprey essentially had to do himself. The single best wrestling performance of all time, in my perspective. Not match. The single best wrestling performance, singular, because of what Osprey had to do to get this match. And you know what? It still looked great, and I still gave it five stars. Incredible. Great match. Absolutely
0: great match. Not on my ballot, though. My number two was from uh, Wrestle Kingdom on January 4th, of course. It was the other Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay. Uh, Look, these two are just two of the best wrestlers of all time, and they put on a match like it. So, great stuff.
1: My number two is also Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay from the Tokyo Dome Wrestle Kingdom on January 4th. That was the number one match of the year. And it shattered a bunch of uh, records for this poll. But I got to say, it was it was incredible. At the time, I thought it was the greatest match of all time. And it was special in a way that can't truly be understood unless you really lived it. So, obviously, everybody that's listening to the show did. But in 20 years, I don't think people are going to understand how special this match really was. Because of the paths that Omega and Osprey took. And how they had only really wrestled once when Will Ospreay was essentially a baby in the industry. And then they come out and deliver just an absolute classic. And I'll just go to my number one because I think yeah. it ties in. My number one is Kenny Omega versus Will Osprey at Forbidden Door, a match that I consider the greatest wrestling match to ever exist. I thought this was better than the than the Wrestle Kingdom match because the Wrestle Kingdom match exists. Uh Kenny Omega bullied Will Osprey the entire match, but it was roles reversed. Where Osprey bullied Omega for the entire match, and then like, you have the Don Callis stuff. I don't give a shit. What was really impressive was they they started just building towards the finish in in the middle of the ring, and then Osprey pulls out a Tiger Driver ninety three, and <clears throat> and then he also hits a One Winged Angel on Kenny. Kenny kicks out at one, because like. No, only one person had ever kicked out of Kenny Omega's One Wing Angel, and that was Kota Ibushi at Peter Pan. I believe it was 2012. That kick out, and then the fury and flurry that Omega displayed afterwards, and then you hit Tiger Driver, Hidden Blade, Stormbreaker, and then a one, two, three. Just in, absolutely incredible stuff. Beyond incredible. Um, Lord at how good this ended up being. Yeah.
0: Uh, at my number one match for the year, previously mentioned, and uh, finishing third overall, was from Full Gear, November eighteenth in AEW, Adam Page and Swerve sort of Strickland in their death match. Uh, the only thing I have left to say about this match is just
1: hell yeah, oh so good, man, so 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 good. This is a great year for professional wrestling. Um, I recommend you take take a minute to go back and look at all the pieces released. With all 380 matches. And you know what? You may find something that you nev- haven't seen that sounds interesting to you. There were some really, really cool matches that finished high. Fuminori Abe vs. Takuya Nomura from We Are Fighting Detectives on uh, October 12th finished 8th in the poll. Like that That's a match that you would have never even thought about. Why? Because it's a produce show. Yuya Aoki versus Yuji Okabayashi from Big Japan on May 4th. I recommend you just watch the whole show, but that match almost made my top 10. There are gems in here that you would have never thought about. Will Ospreay versus Mike Bailey at Bound for Glory, another Bro. one. That was oh, great. incredible match. Volador Jr versus Angel De Oro from the September 16th CMLL show. Like there's so much good stuff here. Demas versus Wotan from Zona 23 on March 26 finished 32nd in the poll. There are matches that you would have ne- with wrestlers you've never heard of, and you could find some pretty great stuff because somebody thought it was awesome. I recommend you take that, uh, take a look at that. Rich, uh, the editor and owner of Voices of Wrestling, does a great job compiling these. Jeremy Sexton built the incredible um apparatus that we use for the poll. It's Awesome stuff. Absolutely awesome stuff. Cannot recommend enough that you take a look and watch a lot of these matches. Yep, yeah,
0: absolutely great stuff.
1: With that, Fred, that is our show. We will be back next week. Sorry, Fred will be back next week. I will be That's in right. Mobile, Alabama covering the Senior Bowl for uh, USA Days Viking Wire and my YouTube channel as well. So I will not be able to watch any AEW live next week. Fred will be here to deliver everything that you need to know with potentially a special guest. That is completely unconfirmed. But you never know. who might show never up. The bad and the hungi. And I will be back the following week. And we will continue looking towards the road to revolution and see what AEW has in store for us. Maybe we have some more news on Kazuchika Kata and mercedes Monet. You never know. With that, like, subscribe comment give us a five star review tell us how good we are tell us why uh fred has better looking hair than i do and we will see you back next week take care
0: take care take care everyone have a good one
1: We're on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Check us out on the feed. Check us out on Twitter at EuroGrapCXP. And join us for chat about European wrestling and a little bit of chat about cheese. Hopefully see you there.